Well, good morning. So glad to have you all here at South Park Church. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Uh, we welcome you, those of us together in the room today. We're doing something special. We're combining our traditional service and our modern service. We do this periodically, and it's just fun to be together. Uh, we welcome those of you watching online, worshiping with us online, uh, whether you're uh, streaming now or later or listening to our podcast. Uh, it's good for us to be together. We're one church, one God, one message, and we have multiple ways of worshiping today. But uh, it's exciting today to continue in the stories of Jesus as we look into some of the basic stories of Jesus and think about what are the stories of Jesus in our lives. And so I'm excited today to be continuing uh, in those lessons uh, from straight out of the Bible. You ever had one of those days, one of those starts to your days? Um, I got up this morning. I usually get up early on Sunday morning. I get to the church. I'm the first one here. I kind of unlock the doors and go over my sermon and stuff. So I, I got up this morning, got ready, got in my Jeep in my garage. I turn on the Jeep and there are all these warning lights. I'm like, hmm. I think I'm going to risk it and see what happens, right? Sometimes the car computer might not work, but it didn't take me long to figure out I couldn't go far in my Jeep, so I had to turn around, come back, uh, went inside, wrote a little note to my wife, Laura, said, hey, I got to take your car, I'm sorry, and, uh, but I got to get to church, and so, Laura, you're probably watching online, sorry I stole your car <laughs> today, uh, or she might be mad at me and not tuning in, right? So. So then I got to church, and in all that uh, commotion and excitement, I forgot my church keys. And so it's kind of hard to get in the church without your keys. So uh, if this sermon absolutely bombs, I'm sorry. Uh, But, you know, I'm like, I got to be there because, like, I love the combined service, getting us all together from both of our services and... uh, Looking forward to the, the prayer service. I know Pastor Lindsay's put a lot of hard work in that, and these combined services are great, but it takes a lot of work from our staff and our volunteers. So let's just give them a hand. Uh, there's a lot going on in that. But you know, the devil's not going to stop us from talking about Jesus today or worshiping God together. And so uh, just, you know, I want to ask you a question. You probably know this is a pretty easy question, but they say in mixed company, you're not supposed to talk about two things. What are those two things? Religion and politics, right? Why don't we talk about religion and politics when we're with other people? Because it could end a friendship. It could mess up our family relationship. It could get nasty and explosive. And you just have to turn on the television or go on social media to see that it can get really ugly. And I'm just curious, you know, we just came out of Thanksgiving and we came out of Christmas, New Year's, and we were with friends and family a lot. And just how many of you had any conversations that included religion and or politics in any of those times, right? So not a lot of us, we, so we kind of live by that rule of let's not talk about religion, let's not talk about politics, and yet we turn on the news, or we get online, and we read newspapers, for those of us who read newspapers, right, and we see things that happen, like the beating of Tyree Nichols, right, in Memphis, Tennessee, and the video, I, I haven't watched it. I haven't had the guts yet to watch it, right? But things like that come up and they come up and they, they come up again. How are we supposed to deal with that as followers of Jesus? Are we supposed to not talk about that? Are we supposed to bare our heads in the sand and realizing that all of us who claim to follow Jesus and really follow Jesus, we have different ideas about stuff like this. So today's question, as we look at the stories of Jesus, what is Jesus political? And does Jesus expect us as followers of Jesus to be political? And if so, what does that look like? So 
I might have told you before, in my first church that I served, there was a, a retired woman, her name was Estelle, and sometimes I'd be preaching and, and get on a topic that might be a little sensitive, and she'd say, oh, there he goes, right? He's, he's left preaching, and he's gone straight to meddling. So <laughs> we might be thinking that today, but let's see what the scriptures teach us today as we try to think about hard situations in our world and in our lives uh, as followers of Jesus. What do we do with stuff like that? So we're going to be with Jesus. It's at the last of his life. He's in the city of Jerusalem for the last time, and uh, he's been teaching, and he's getting ready to be arrested. He's getting ready to be executed, crucified, and to come back to life so that you and I could be restored into a right relationship with Jesus. And he's there, and some of the religious leaders of the day are really sticking it to Jesus. And they are attacking him, and they're debating with him, and they're trying to set traps for him to get in trouble, to say something that's going to get him in trouble with the Roman rulers so that they will execute him, right? Which we know where it's going. Uh, there's some success in this, but we're getting ready to see one of those stories. So we're going to be today in the Gospel of Mark. Gospel means the good news of Jesus. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is actually the oldest Gospel. It's the first Gospel written. It's the second book in the New Testament. Why is it the second book in the New Testament? Because Mark doesn't have a story about the birth of Jesus. So when they put the Bible together, they're like, we've got to have a story about the birth of Jesus. So they stuck Matthew first and then Mark. Mark is the oldest Gospel, uh, and it's just short, and it's straight to the point. Right, so we're picking up the story. The religious leaders are giving Jesus a really, really hard time. So let's go into Mark's Gospel today. Mark 12, uh, verse 13. Later, they, which means that they are the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, the main religious leaders, okay? They sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words, right? So the religious leaders are trying to manipulate other people to get Jesus in trouble. They send the Pharisees, who were some of the religious lawyers. There are over 600 religious laws in the Jewish faith. And so these guys kind of interpreted those laws and said, this is how you should live based on the laws. And the Herodians, they kind of followed in the dynasty of Herod the Great, maybe think some like nationalist kind of movement for the people of Israel. They sent these folks to try and trip Jesus up, okay? So let's keep going. Verse 14. So they came to him and they said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity, right? They're falsely sucking up to Jesus, right? They're just, they're just trying to, you know, trick Jesus. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, right? They're buttering Jesus up. Oh, you're such a great teacher. You're Jesus. You're just awesome, right? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not. This is the trap. This is the thing, right? So you got to remember that Israel was ruled by a foreign government, by Rome. And the ruler of Rome was the Roman emperor, uh, Caesar. And so Caesar ruled Rome, and the Romans weren't popular because they were oppressing the people of Israel. They taxed them. There was a tax, they call it the head tax, just because you exist, how many people live with you. There was property taxes or all these taxes. We talked a little bit about this last week with Zacchaeus and some of the tax collectors. They would add tax to what the Romans charged. So the Romans were just not very popular, right? And so they're asking, as we who are... Israelites, we who were Hebrews, we who were Jewish, right? Should we pay that tax to Caesar or not? And they're asking Jesus a simple yes or no question that has an explosive result. It's not a simple yes or no answer. 
right? Because if Jesus says, all right, no, you, we shouldn't pay that tax to Caesar, uh, then that's going to get the Roman government's attention, right? So what are you, a rebel, right? There had been revolts against the taxes, and people had been killed because they revolted. So is Jesus, like, is this a, a military kind of political leader, Jesus? Is he trying to stir up people? Is he saying, don't pay taxes, right? That could get Jesus in a lot of trouble with the Roman government. But if Jesus said, yes, we need to pay the tax to Caesar, it could also get him in trouble with the local people of Israel and the, and the religious people, right, the Jewish people, because the Romans were hated, right? Probably everybody who was a follower of Jesus or lived in Israel had had a bad encounter with the Romans, right? They had been forced into slavery either permanently or or just for a short time, a Roman soldier could come up and tell you to do whatever, right? You got to help me carry this here, right? They could just make you do whatever they wanted to do, right? They're taxing them unmercifully. There are a lot of people who are in debt. They could just take the property, say, this is your property. It's our property now. And then there were several people who had risen up against the Romans and they'd been killed, right? They'd been executed, right? So all the followers of Jesus probably either themselves or had a close friend or family member have been oppressed adversely by the Romans. And so if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then he's probably going to lose the support of his people. This is a very tricky question and it's on purpose. And they say it as yes or no, because they're trying to trap Jesus either way. Okay. So let's see what happens. Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He looked right through that total buttering up mess. He knew that it's not true. Why are you trying to trap me? I love it. He just calls them out, right? You're trying to be all nice and sweet and everything, but I know what you're doing. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So the denarius was a form of Roman coin, right? On the Roman coin would be a, a, an image of the emperor and it would have some language that basically supported uh, the belief that the Roman emperor was divine, was either God himself or the son of God. And so on that coin, it has the emperor's picture. It has the whole thing that we should worship the emperor. So it's kind of like a little idol in your pocket, right? And so Jesus says... Show me one of these denariuses, right? The one thing that we would use to pay the tax. Now, notice here, Jesus is not carrying a coin, right? He's not carrying the coin with the idol, like it's a little idol in your pocket, right? But he assumes that these other people, right, these followers of God who are trying to trap him, that they have a coin, which in fact they do, right? So they're, they're already kind of caught in their own trap. They're saying, should we pay the tax? Should we carry Roman money, right? Jesus doesn't have any, but conveniently, the ones who are trying to trap him, they've got their own money. Interesting, right? So let's keep going, All right? So they brought the coin. Again, Jesus didn't have the coin. The people who were trying to trap him had the coin, right? And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied, right? So it's got the emperor's head on it, right? Got the emperor's picture, and you're supposed to worship the emperor, right? Jesus didn't have the coin. The Pharisees or one of the Herodians had the coin. Uh, and so let's see what happens now, right? So Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him, right? He said, show me the coin, Whose picture's on the coin? It's Caesar's. It's his image. Well, give Caesar's coin to Caesar, 
right? Now, one interpretation could be, well, you know, the Romans provide roads for people to travel on. They provide public services, that kind of stuff. Then you should pay the tax or whatever. But Jesus takes it to another level. He says, whose picture's on the coin? Whose image is that? It's Caesar's. So give Caesar's, give Caesar what is Caesar's, right? So basically, Jesus is saying, give Caesar his own idolatry, right? Give the coin that has Caesar's picture on it to him and give to God what is God's, right? And, and this is a great answer. It's not a yes or no answer, right? Jesus kind of foils his opponents because they don't win in this at all, right? He's not trapped. He's like, you know, give Caesar Caesar's money. It's his money, right? It's his image. It's his little idol, right? Give it to him and give to God what is God's, right? Jesus is just, he's a genius. Of course, he is God, so that helps to be smart, right? And he foils it, and he's like, you know, his opponents were amazed at him. Now, what's interesting is some people take this passage of Scripture, and they say, what this means is that as followers of Jesus in the world, that we should not be involved in politics, right? You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and we give to God what is God's, right? We have politics and religion. We keep them separate, and we don't meddle in politics. We don't meddle in religion. I don't think that's what is happening here, okay? I think there's a bigger political thing going on here that we might not be aware of. So let's see what happens next. And the operative question is, if we give Caesar what is Caesar's, his coins with his face on it, and we're told to give God what is God's, what are we supposed to give to God? That's a big question, isn't it? If Caesar gets the coins, what does God get? So we're going to stay in Mark's gospel, the same chapter, same people are grilling Jesus. One of the Pharisees says to Jesus, of all the religious laws, right, there are over 600 religious laws that we follow, which one's the most important, right? This is the same chapter, same discussion. You guys probably have heard this before, read it before. The most important one, answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Give God everything. Your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, those little bitty coins with his face on it, those little bitty idols. But give to God what is God's, right? We give Caesar his image. What is created in God's image? We are. You are. People are, right? We're created in God's image. What does God get? God gets us. God gets our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strengths. So if you were to size up Caesar and to size up God based upon what they're supposed to receive, which one's greater? God, right? God. God gets us. God gets our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength. What does Caesar get? He gets some money. He gets some coins. Whoop-dee-doo, big dude, right? Who is the most important here? Jesus is saying it is God, and there is no question about that, right? We're supposed to love God with everything that we have, and we're supposed to love people as we love ourselves, right? People that look like us, people that don't look like us, people who think like us, people who don't think like us, right? We owe that to God because all of us are created in God's image, Republicans and Democrats and independents, black, white, red, yellow, right? male, female, however you want to break it down, this is a powerful, powerful statement by Jesus.
So what's the point today? What's the big idea? I'm going to get to it faster than I normally do because I want to unpack it a little bit. This is what I think that we're finding out from Jesus, right? The gospel message demands to be lived out in every area of our lives. The gospel message demands to be lived out in every area of our lives. In our church life, in our school life, in our work life, in our sex life, what we do with money, right? How we have relationships, also in our political life, right? The gospel message demands to be lived out in every area of our lives, including the political realm. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Right? It matters in what we think, say, and do politically, right? How do we use power? How do we use authority, right? Those things are very important, right? And you know what power is? It's the ability to do something, and authority is the right to do something. If I owned a bulldozer and I chose, I could bulldoze my next door neighbor's house. I would have the power to do that. But probably not a good idea to do that because I don't have the authority to do that, right? So in society, as followers of Jesus, right, in individuals, as groups, right, in church, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world, in the United Nations, how do we use power? How do we use authority because being a follower of Jesus should permeate every part of our lives so let's think a little bit about what that means politically to be a follower of Jesus okay I want to just look at the word politics I think that's an important word right what does it mean to 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 be political right as we're dealing with power and authority I've I got four definitions because I just, I don't want to blow this, right? So uh, the oldest one is from Aristotle who lived 300 years before Jesus, right? It's the Greek word politica uh, and it means affairs of the cities. Aristotle wrote a lot about living in society. Well, how should we relate to each other? How do we use power? How do we use authority? Who do we take care of? Who do we spend money on, right? Who's a citizen? Who can vote? Who can't? All that kind of stuff, right? So Aristotle wrote a lot about this stuff, and we still see that in our influence today. Uh, The next one comes to us from Wikipedia, which is not the most academic place that you want to go, okay? You get a lot of knowledge there, but anybody can go on this website and write anything that they want to, okay? So you, you have to read Wikipedia very carefully, and this is not an academic thing, But I actually like the definition, right? Look at this. Politics is the set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups. We make decisions in groups. Or of other forms of power relations among individuals, such as the distribution of resources or status. Who does the government give money to? Who does the government give power to? So it's as we make decisions in groups about how to live together, right? Jesus should be in these decisions. How do we make decisions living together when we have power, when we have authority, especially when we have power of authority over groups of people? And some groups are favored and some groups are not. A couple more definitions. Uh, This is from Webster. Uh, Politics is the art or science of government, right? Bigger groups that have power and authority. Uh, And then finally, uh, we've got the Oxford English Dictionary. Politics, having an organized form of government or society. Um, So again, that's what politics is. It's relationships, it's groups making decisions, using power, using authority. Again, the question, was Jesus political? I want to think about this. Was Jesus political? Not in the ways probably that we think about in 21st century America. Probably not. 
Let's look at this. So a couple things, right? Jesus preached the kingdom of God is here. Now, that's not in itself a political statement, but it has political implications, right? Jesus was not political in, in the sense of, I'm running for office, I'm going to be a military ruler, I'm going to be a polit- politician, right? That's what the people of Israel thought Jesus would be, right? Like King David, who ruled Israel and it was great, or some kind of, you know, campaign kind of thing. But when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is here, what does that mean? It means that other kingdoms are on the way out, right? So it means like for the Romans, they're worried, right? Jesus is saying there's a new kingdom. We're the ones in charge. We should probably be worried about this Jesus, even though he wasn't trying to do a a military kind of revolution. And the religious leaders, you know why they were so upset, right? Because Jesus was calling them out saying, you're not living the life that you're supposed to be living, right? The religious kingdom is going to go through a lot of change, right? So Jesus says, my kingdom is here, which by default means that other kingdoms are on the way out. And that got Jesus into trouble. That got him killed, right? The Romans didn't think he was, thought he was going to be a threat, right? The religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders thought he was going to be a threat, so they took him out. So it's not a political statement, but it has political implications, right? Another thing about Jesus, Jesus questioned who was really in control. We just saw that, right? Is it, is it Caesar or is it God? Jesus answered that question, right? God is the only one who's in control, right? So that might be interpreted as a political thing. Uh, next one is, but Jesus is unlike other political leaders of his day or of our day, right? So he didn't seek his own gain, status, or power. In fact, he gave up his power, right? He died. He died on a cross. What kind of a political leader killed, lets himself be killed, right? He, he did that. Puts the interest of others above his own, right? He didn't slander, gossip, or lie, right? There's no smear campaigns, right? Can you imagine what political um, commercials would look like if Jesus was doing them? <laughs> Probably more tolerable than the ones that we get to see, right? So Jesus is not like a politician that we think of today or even in his own day, right? And so... Uh, Next slide is what I think really says it all. Jesus' message was not primarily political, but it had political implications, right? I'm not running for office. I'm not trying to be the next Roman emperor. I'm not trying to tell you how to run the government. But his message, the kingdom of God is here, has political implications. Because if we believe that the kingdom of God is here, that Jesus is Lord, it affects the way that we use our own power and our own authority. Right? Does that make sense? So Jesus wasn't a politician. He wasn't a military leader. He wasn't a political character. But, but just because who he was and what he said had political implications, it affects those of us who are followers. How does Jesus want me to use my power? How does Jesus want me to use my authority? How are we supposed to order things in society to do what Christ calls us to do, to love all of our neighbors as ourselves? Okay, so again, the point for today is this. The gospel message demands to be lived out in every area of our lives. What does that look like in everyday life as a follower of Jesus, whether you're Republican or Democrat or what? All right, so I've got a few things I want to share with you again. Use what's helpful. Just kind of forget what isn't, right? Action steps, making political choices as a Jesus follower. Okay, these are some things maybe to think about as we think about politics, as we think about how do we get involved in politics. One, do not blindly follow anyone but Jesus. 
Don't follow anyone blindly but Jesus. Don't follow me as your pastor blindly. Don't follow local politicians blindly. Right? I know some people are like, I'm going to vote Democrat or I'm going to vote Republican, right? No matter who's on the ticket, whatever I am in, right? That could be dangerous, right? Don't follow anyone blindly but Jesus, right? Everybody else you need to question, right? And, and think and pray about, right? Love God and neighbor, right? As we think politically, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love my neighbor? In the Bible, love is an action, not an emotion. If I'm supposed to love the people in my community for God, what does that look like, okay? Resources. Uh, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he says, he says, we have four top resources, and I'm throwing in a fifth one today. When we're making political decisions, who do I vote for? What do I think about this policy? What do I think about guns? What do I think about abortion? What do I think about immigration? Whatever, whatever it is, right? We have the Bible. What does the Bible teach us? We have church teaching, also known as church tradition. We have our own brains. God gave you a brain for a reason. Use it, right? It's a great gift from God, right? What's our experience uh, as a follower of Jesus? And then prayer, right? Have I talked to God? God, what do you think? What, what, what should I be thinking about this issue or this situation? These are Christian resources that we have when we think about political issues, okay? How are decisions made in or for groups and individuals? How do we make decisions in the church? How do we make decisions in South Park? How do we make decisions in Charlotte? How do we make decisions in Mecklenburg County? How do we make decisions in North Carolina? How do we make decisions in the United States? How do we make decisions in the United Nations? Right? As followers of Jesus, we have a voice. Right? Who has power and authority and how do they use it? Right? One of the big issues obviously today is how do the police use their power and authority? Some use it well, some don't. Right? We have Officer J.D. downstairs who we love and is a great guy. Right? But then we have these five officers in Memphis who beat a man to death, right? Who has power? Who has authority? And how do we use that, right? So uh, these are things that we think about. Uh, so just, and then another one is be on guard against civil religion. What I mean by this is sometimes churches in America let too much of the government and politics into our churches. And we begin to worship things that aren't Jesus, like the flag, and I love America, and I think the flag's great, but we don't have one in this sanctuary because this sanctuary is God's sanctuary. It's not America's. God is a God of America and Russia and China. God is a God of all nations. I am proud to be an American. I love this country, but I'm not going to let it mix up in our church, right? And so we're not going to be singing a lot of, you know, American songs in here. Again, love America. Glad to be here, right? But we worship Jesus. Some people worship America, right? There's a place to honor and respect America, not in this church, not in this sanctuary. We're glad to be Americans. We're proud to be Americans, but we're not going to mix the two, right? Does that make sense? I am allegiant to Jesus first and only. I am proud to be an American. I'm glad to have religious freedom in America, but I can't let you guys worship America, right? And I know that's hard to hear. That's hard to sell. Be on guard, against civil religion, right? Use what we have in America, that's great, but worship Jesus first and foremost. Now the trick is, when we talk about political issues, abortion, immigration, the death penalty, whatever, you're gonna have people who think exactly the opposite, who follow Jesus, read the same Bible, pray the same God, 
and think Jesus is on their side of the issue, and you have somebody else who's just as Christian on the other side of the issue. What do we do then? Right? That's the hard part, isn't it? Right? Because if, if Jesus is on both sides of two issues, somebody's got to be wrong, <laughs> right? We, or we're getting something kind of off in what we're hearing from Jesus. How do we deal with that? Because I would say that today, if I said, turn to your neighbor and tell him what you think about immigration, that I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I do like my job. I'd like to keep it a little longer, right? We would have different opinions, right? We would have different opinions, right? So how do we deal with that? How do we have political and religious conversations when we think differently about issues, right? So again, just a few things that came to my mind. When we talk to somebody, and we need to talk, we need to have conversations, right? Pray before we talk to somebody, right? If it's your old Uncle Larry or Aunt Sue or whoever, like, you, you know, you're going to have that conversation at Thanksgiving, or maybe it's your friend or your neighbor next door. Maybe it's somebody sitting on the chair next to you, right? Pray before the meeting, right? Not the prayer of, God, please help them to see that I'm right and they're wrong, <laughs> Let us have a conversation. Help me to understand them, Lord, right? We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're trying to figure it out. We, all, we don't have it all figured out. Let's, let's pray about this together, okay? So pray about it. Lead with love, right? Rather than with leading, trying to be right. Like when we have political conversations, it's usually I'm right and you're wrong, and that's what we lead with, but lead with love. Right? Um, see people as children of God rather than the 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 spawn of the devil because they're of a different, right, political ideology. Uh, it helps a lot to say this is someone that God made in God's image. Uh, what do we have in common, right? We have Jesus in common. We have hopes and dreams in common. We have fears and anxieties in common. We have children. We have grandchildren. We have a community. We have so much more in common than we have that's not in common. So let's focus on what's in common. Uh, be non-anxious. This is one of the hardest things to do, Right? Don't yell, don't scream, right? Don't get worked up, right? Just try to be calm, right? That's hard to do even on social media, but it's so important to sit and have a civil conversation with somebody. Seek first to understand. What do you think and why is that, right? And Because a lot of times if you're like me, I'm thinking about my response to them, what I'm going to be saying, right? Like, simply sit and seek to understand what the other person's saying. Then share your perspective. This is how I see it. This is what I see in scripture. This is what I see in church teaching and tradition, all that kind of stuff. Um, how can we move forward together? Right? We're, we're not going to agree on everything, but how do we live together in society? How do we move forward? How do we move forward in our church, in our Sunday school class, in our life group? What does that look like? And then stay connected, right? It's got to be right, a relational kind of thing. Uh, one way that I'm thinking about this and some of you are not going to be surprised, is uh, I'm a Duke basketball fan, right? I said that to the group this morning that we pray before we have service. I'm like, I'm talking a little bit about Duke basketball. They're, oh, big surprise today, Pastor Kyle, right? Um, so I'm a big Duke basketball fan. It's been a hard year. It's uh, been a very challenging year. Uh, but I'm always going to be a Duke basketball fan, right? If my kids go to Carolina and they play basketball, I'll be happy for them, but I'm not going to cheer for their team. I'll cheer for them. <laughs> And those of you who are Carolina fans would say the same about Duke or whether you're South Carolina, Clemson, you know, you, you get it, right? And so when I get together with Tar Heel fans, it, sometimes it's hard to have discussions about sports. But the hope is, right, I love Duke, they love Carolina, we're not going to change that. 
But I might be able to say, you know what, this player had a bad game this game. Or the coach, I don't like the philosophy that the coach has been going with, right? Uh, do you see that, right? I'm, I'm going to be a Duke person, but I can agree that there's some things in Duke basketball that need to be changed, right? Same thing in politics, right? If you're a Democrat, you're probably going to be a Democrat. If you're a Republican, you're probably going to be a Republican. If you're independent, you're probably going to be independent. But about the issues, can we get together and just say, you know what? You got that right and you got that wrong. Or I got this right, I got that wrong. Probably more of that. I got this right, I got that wrong. We got to have these conversations to where we know we're not going to change their ideology. But about particular issues, can we just talk about it? Can we get to that? Because you, know, you think about conservative and liberal Right? I think every one of us would say there's things in our lives that we would like to conserve. We'd like to keep them the same. We don't want them to change. We love them. They're powerful. We hang on to them. And there's things in our lives that all of us would say, you know what? This is not working so good. I think we need to change something. Right? Conservative, liberal. There's stuff in all of our lives that we want to conserve. There's stuff in all of our lives that we need to change. Like our church. We believe in Jesus. That is our core value, right? We're not going to change Jesus Christ as Lord, right? But this is a church that, that, that tore its old building down, right? After being up for 50 years, some things in our lives need to change, right? Jesus was, was both a priest and a prophet, right? Jesus was a priest. He wanted to conserve the great faith that was passed on to him and say, there's things we got we to conserve. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself, Right? But Jesus was also a prophet. He said, there's some things broken in our religion, and they need to change. Right? He was a prophet. He spoke the truth, and he said things that the religious leaders didn't want to hear. Right? So in our own lives, we need a priest, and we need a prophet. We need to change things, and we need to keep some things the same. What does that look like in political conversations in our lives? There are a lot of things that I love about this church. And one of the, the things that I love the most, it even makes me proud, even though God says don't be proud, right, is that in this church, in this room right now, watching online right now, listening to podcasts online, we have a vast difference of political ideologies. There are people who are part of South Park Church who are very conservative, very conservative. We have people in South Park Church who are very liberal about issues. And we have people in South Park Church who are all in the middle, right? So when we're thinking about immigration, right, or abortion, or guns, we're thinking about how we spend money. We're thinking about uh, sexuality. When we think about drinking alcohol, right, if we, we don't agree on all of that. We don't. But we're here. And why are we here? Because we love Jesus first. And we, we love each other. We have relationships with each other. And, you know, I was also thinking sometimes, how can we coexist? I think sometimes we don't talk about the issues enough. You're probably not going to walk out of the room today having had a discussion about abortion with the person next to you or immigration. So sometimes we get along because we just don't touch the issues. But some of our life groups, like, they dig into it. Like they have conversations about what's happening in the news. And I, it brings me joy to have people on these life groups call me and say, hey, Kyle, Pastor Kyle, we're going to talk about this issue in the news. Could you give us some scriptural background? Because we have different opinions about that. They talk about it together. They don't leave the small group agreeing on the issue, but they feel closer to each other, right? What if 
all Christians in America did that? What if our leaders did that? Right? It, it, could, it could change the world, right? I'm just so proud of us. I'm so proud of you. Keep doing that. Keep having the hard conversations. And again, what brings us together is what unites us. How can we be a politically diverse congregation? We love Jesus. We love each other. We genuinely care about each other, right? And so we agree to disagree, and we try to live life together. Should we be political? Was Jesus political, right? I think the gospel demands the gospel demands to be lived out in every area of our lives, even politically. Keep doing that with the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.